Good morning, Shavuatov. Today we are doing the 11th chapter of Ilchot Avodah Zarah of Mishneh Torah. This chapter deals more than with Avodah Zarah, with other things that the Goim tend to do, and that the Goim do, and that the Goim have done through history, and which the Torah forbade for that reason to create some distinction and some space and some difference between them and Am Yisrael. Um, one side point, although this chapter is very long, I, I just want to have one side point. Uh, we, we did mention that most of the Torah, or one of the most important aspects of the Torah, is the rejection of Avodah Zarah, is to present an alternative that satiates our our psychic, our psychological needs, that satiates what we actually need and for which people seek Avodah Zarah. So the Torah gives an answer to that, so that nobody is restless or lives a life filled with anxiety or, or with mental instability because they are not doing Avodah Zarah, which is what Avodah Zarah comes to, comes to provide an answer for. So Harambam is often interpreted to say that many of the things the Torah forbade are because people were doing those during ancient times, during pagan times for Avodah Zarah. For instance, Harambam is said to have said that the only reason we have offerings, sacrifices, is because the ancient pagan nations used to sacrifice. And then the Torah is sort of saying, well, let Am Israel also have sacrifices so they don't do what the other nations do. It follows for this reading that in a situation, in a generation where this is not the case, where people are not doing these sacrifices around us, then sacrifices under the Torah are kind of moot and unnecessary. So I just want to correct this misconception. And the misconception is that it's not the historical fact that people were doing sacrifices, what is behind the Torah's own sacrifices. But you have to look at why people started doing sacrifices out of nowhere. And this, by the way, was true across all cultures, all civilizations, people that never communicated with one another, they all had for some reason this need, this restlessness inside them that translated into one day waking up and coming up with the idea of sacrifices. And that need, that is part of human nature. That is part of our most basic instinctive, instinctual needs that we have. And that is what the Torah is coming to address not the actual practice done by the Goim to remedy this need, but the need itself. So this chapter, with this side note, deals with a few things that the Torah forbade specifically because they were Avodah Zarah practices. But I suspect if you investigate these things, these actions, which we are not going to do today, the chapter is very long as is, if you investigate them independently, you realize that there is a reason, there is some psychological insight as to why the goyim would start these practices to begin with. <clears throat> we may not go on the path of the goyim, nor try to be like them. Neither with the way we dress, nor the way we get haircuts, or of the like. The Torah is very explicit about this, and it says, you may not go on the path of the other nations. And it also is said, you may not follow their chukot. I have to, I have to explain what hok means. Hok is translated as laws, but hok from the word lachkok, Lachkok means to carve, is something that is the way it is because it so says so, because it so says on stone. It's carved in stone and that's the way it is. Why is it? Because that's the way it's carved. In other words, it's something that doesn't have any inherent and intrinsic rationale, but for the fact that it was legislated. So by following the hukot of the goyim, in a way we are showing allegiance to their system. 
And a third time, the Torah also warns against that, and it says, uh, lest be careful, lest you um, go astray after them, lest, lest you are captured by their behavior. And all of these commandments, all of these prescriptions come to uh, warn about the same thing. That we should not try to copycat them, to, to be like them. Rather, uh, the Israelite should have his own independent identity and persona and way of behavior. Even the way that they dress and the rest of their actions. Just like we have an independent mindset and we believe the way the things we believe because we believe them and because of others. So too, our actions and our behavior at the national level, at the cultural level, should be independent. <coughs> and so too, Bore Olam, when he says that he prescribes certain misvot for us, like for example, Kashrut, the Torah says, Va'avdil etchem min ha'amim. And I have distinguished you, have separated you from the other nations. So to say that Am Israel is separate and apart and has his own, its own independent identity and should not try to capture the identity of other nations. So this means that you may not uh, try to dress the way that they dress because they dress that way, nor to have to have a certain hairstyle like their hairstyle. And now we are going to go into more specific hairstyles that were historically hairstyles associated with Goim and with Abodah Zarah. Which means, Rambam says, not to, to shave the sides of your head and leaving the, the middle like they do. That's what Hachamim call in the Gemara, Belorit, which is not the same as in modern Hebrew, Belorit. So the first one, Belorit, is like the Mohawk what they call today in modern English. And you have a picture here for whoever is watching this on YouTube. You have a picture here of what this uh, looks like. Likewise, doing some sort of a ponytail where the rest of the hair is shaven, sort of like the, the Buddhist, some Buddhist uh, monks or... or uh, um, some sort of, of uh, monks in Nepal, etc., that they have this very long ponytail and they shave everything else. Also, we should not try to imitate their architecture. We should not uh, model our Batekan Esiyot after churches or after any other form of uh, worship, after any altars that they make. And this is a felony that is subject to a punishment and any because it, it is an actual action. Anyone who does any of these things deserves makut. What happens if the Jew is the one giving the haircut to the Goy? So the Jew has a responsibility not to contribute, not to enable the Goy to have this hairstyle that is associated with Avodah Zarah, and as soon as the Yehudi, the Jewish hairdresser or barber, comes three fingers close to the place where the Mohawk would be, he can no longer continue this haircut. He cannot be the one giving this haircut. And rather, um, he has to stop there so as to not create the Mohawk himself. Israel shaya karov lamalchut, besarach leyashem lifne malchahem, there is an exception that was given by Hachamim themselves. This is not an exception explicit in the Torah, but Hachamim have the authority to do so. The exception is any Jew who has a governmental position and, and it would be very inappropriate for him to not dress the way that other governmental officials dress or to have a, a different hairstyle than they do. 
So it's permissible for such a person to wear their clothes and to also even shave, even shave their face like they do, even though he's doing all of these things, even though he's doing all of these things um, in order to be like them. He's trying, actually, he's trying, in fact, to conform to their dress code and to their hairstyle. But because of his particular situation and the potential this has to safeguard Am Israel from pogroms and from other <clears throat> bad things that used to happen through history when the Jewish people were under an alien government, Hachamim uh, made this exception. By the way, um, I just want to point out another another parenthesis. Going through uh, by Harambam's uh, way of, of halacha and by the Gemara's way of halacha, it would be inappropriate for any of us to take this halacha and try to take from there the logic and then apply this logic elsewhere. So I cannot take this halacha and say, ah, so that means that if I, so long as I have a good reason, I'm allowed to, and therefore tomorrow that I have to go to to my soccer game and I want to feel like part of the crowd and everyone is wearing a certain hairstyle, I want to wear the same hairstyle because I don't want to feel left out and this is something where someone didn't want to feel left out. No, no. We may not analogize. It's not up to us. We are not legislators. We are not the Beddin Hagadol and therefore the Halakha is what it is. Now we go beyond dress code, we go to behavior, we may not uh, engage in divination, trying to guess the future like the goyim. As it is said, you may not engage in divination. What does it mean, divination? By the way, point out, the Nahesh comes from the Shoresh Nahash, from the Shoresh Nahash, which means snake. Somehow, at least in the ancient mindset, divination and snakes were related. Maybe they use snakes. I don't know. So what is Nihush? Kigon Elusheo Merim, Ho'il v'nafla p'ti mipi, O'nafal maklim yadi, Eni olech l'makom peloni hayom. Like, for example, someone who says, so I was eating bread today and it fell off my mouth, or I was walking and my staff fell off my hand, Therefore, this is a sign, this means that I have to adjust my behavior in a certain way and not go to a certain place. Or in our uh, culture, uh, a, a black cat passed in front of me or a, a mirror broke and therefore I should not uh, enter into this certain business transaction or something of the sort. <clears throat> because I'm not going to have good luck. Or here, Aramban brings the example of the cat. Some people translate it as a cat, uh, or some people translate it as a fox. Given that a fox or a cat passed next to me on my right, then I should not leave my house. Because if I do go out, uh, a, a, um, a trickster is going to, to find me and try to trick me into something. Again, superstitions. Or those who, by listening to the way the birds are chirping, they decide this is what's going to happen or that's what's going to happen. Or this means that it's good to do a certain thing or it's not good to not to do another thing. Or now we come to a second category of examples. Until now, it was things that happened, and because of them, uh, a person adjusts their behavior. Now we are talking about the person himself doing something in order to uh, cause a certain outcome. It's uh, more of in the what people call today segulot. A lot of those are within this halacha. Um, for example, uh, a person who might say, uh, let's kill this, this uh, rooster because uh, it, it's bad luck, given that it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it made it sound, the rooster sound at night instead of the day, it's off, so let's kill it. Or this one uh, is, uh, is crying out like a, like a chicken, therefore we have to kill it. 
וכל המסים, the opposite, sorry, this chicken that was crying out like a rooster, וכן המסים לעצמו סימנים, likewise, uh, establishing, establishing to oneself signs, אם ידע לי כך וכך יעשה דבר כלומי, if this happens to me, if A happens to me, that means I should do B, ואם לא ידע לא יעשה, if A does not happen to me, I should not do B, כאליעזר עבד אברהם, like אליעזר the servant of Abraham, like we just read yesterday, שבת פרשת חיי שרה, this חכמים saying the Gemara was wrong, what אליעזר did of saying, and the girl that comes out, Uh, and, and offers me water and my camel's water, she's the one that you God want. That is wrong. That is actually what Eliezer did, was not something we should be learning from. The Gemara says, uh, if you do it after the Torah was given, and you are under the system of the Torah, you are violating this commandment. And all of these things are forbidden. These are all superstitions. These all have the, the theme of you, understa you understanding that the system, that the rationale of things happening that you impose upon reality is the one under which God operates. You understand? So you're saying, if A happens, then that must mean that I have to do B. That means that you are sort of commanding God, God, if you want me to want to do B, you have to make A happen. And that is absolutely wrong. That is in line with Abu Dazara, where... God is a function of man and not vice versa. Hakol asur, all of these things, all these superstitions are forbidden. Anyone who does an action relating to these things, so just superstitions, just believing these things, a belief is never justiciable. A court cannot punish a belief. But if there is an action accompanying it, then this is, this is subject to uh, justiciability. The, the court... Uh, can take care of this. Now we come to a different category of things, which will explain why traditionally, until very recently, uh, whenever something good happened, whenever there was a party, whenever there was a nice occasion, Jews would never do what uh, the American culture thinks Jews do, which is to say Mazel Tov, but Jews would always say Besimantov, or Lesimantov, or Simantov, and Simanatava uh, in Aramaic. And you can see any, any piece of literature that you, might, you may get your hands on, Sidur, uh, uh, old manuscripts, they all have Simantov. You will not find Mazaltov anywhere. And why is this? Now this Halachahe. Mishamar dirazo shebaniti Simantov hayeta alai. One who says, This uh, house that I built, this residence that I built myself, this actually brought about a lot of other good things. This was a good sign of other good things to come. In other words, everything retrospectively looking at the past and relating A to B. It's interpretation. This, uh, this girl that I married or... This, uh, I'm going to translate to our terms, this car that I, that I, that I bought. This was, it was full of beracha, and from the moment that this happened, I became very wealthy. Or, like it happened many times in the Gemara, Hachamim used to do this. Uh, if uh, someone asks a, a child, tell me, child, what pasuk are you learning? As, as we learn in the Chotar Mutorah, children uh, should be learning Pesukim from a very early age. What Pasuk are you learning today? And if he says a Pasuk from uh, the Berachot, then the person becomes happy and says, hey, this, this, I interpreted this to have been a good sign. All of these things and of the like are permissible. Again, these are retrospective interpretations. It's not divination. It's not that I'm trying to predict the future or trying to adjust my behavior based on something that happens, happened or that's going to happen. Rather, I'm attributing to the past, I'm attributing meaning to events, I'm connecting between A and B, two things that already happened, and I'm engaging in interpretation. Interpretation is permissible. Divination is forbidden. And therefore, when I say besimantov to let's say my friend's wedding or something of the sort, really the simantov means this which just happened. I interpret, it, I interpret this 
to be part of a pattern of, of other good things that is permissible. If you say Mazal Tov, I'm not saying it's forbidden, but the implication is that this is somehow the result of luck. And uh, the Jewish belief is not that things happen because of luck or good luck or bad luck, but rather because of God's providence. Given that the person did not adjust his behavior based on these simanim uh, that he's given, which are permissible, but rather he made this a meaning, attributed this meaning to something that already happened, this is permissible. <clears throat> the Torah says, you may not have among you, says the Torah, someone who is kosem, I'll translate freely, someone who is a magician. What is this magician, kosem, that the Torah speaks about? is someone who attributes to himself a certain power again let's distinguish this from distinguish this from a uh, false prophet the false prophet is saying something in the name of another deity he's saying the star told me something or god told me something the kosem is claiming to have this power by himself it's an intrinsic power so he says, I can tell you what's going to happen. Uh, by the way, it's it's hard to say this and it's it, it hurts to say this, but many so-called rabbis today uh, that claim to themselves some mystical powers might be in some cases engaging in what the Torah calls kosem. So it's someone who uh, pretends to uh, have to have this uh, this super mind and he, he closes his eyes, and then he tells you, uh, tomorrow it's going to rain, or, or this is what's going to happen, or it's good for you to enter into this business, or it's not good for you to enter into this business. Be careful about going to this place, and these sort of things. Sorry, by the way, there has to be a certain act related to it. It's not just closing your eyes, there has to be a certain act. So... One of these, uh, some of these acts, some of these people, they take some sand or some pebbles and they start touching them. And through the touching, they'll tell you what's going to happen. Some of them, uh, they, they invoke the soil and, and they start screaming. Some of them look at the mirror or at some sort of a crystal ball. Or some hold a certain kind of a, of a staff or of a wand and, and a wand and, and they, they hit it until they, they allegedly get this mind power. This is what Hosea was complaining about when he was saying that people no longer went to prophets and they went instead to Kosmim, he said they went to the ones that take a staff and and uh, and they ask to this to, to the wood what to do. In other words, Am Israel by going to the Kosem, they were in effect invoking the power of the wood of some inert matter, which of course is very silly. <clears throat> So there is a distinction between the one who is consulting the Kosem and the Kosem himself. The Kosem himself, if he does an action together with this Kesem, with this self-proclaimed inherent power, then if there is an action with it, like for example, touching the sand, reading the tea leaves, reading someone's hand, uh, reading the cards, tarot cards, and of the sort, all of these things would be enough to, to make the person liable for malkut, for a bed din's punishment, for a punishment by a court. 
but someone who consults merely consulting although it's obviously forbidden the consultation itself is not enough of an action to be justiciable by a court by a human court is the home meonen what is meonen the trust says also meonen in the same pasuk elu notne haitim sheomrim beistagninut shelahem yom peloni ra yom peloni tov meonen as opposed to kosem is not someone who claims to have some inherent power but is someone who claims to know the meaning of certain times certain times are auspicious certain times are bad uh, again something that that some people do today that they say uh, you know a certain morning of a certain day of the year is good to say a certain formula this is all nonsense and it's all forbidden according to the Torah according to Harambam according to the Torah says Me'onen so Me'onen is for example uh, people who write horoscopes and they say uh, this day is going to be a day of bad luck this day is going to be a day of good luck This day is good to do a certain action, or this year, or this month is a good luck, a bad luck. Uh, Chinese culture has a lot of that, of uh, good years, bad years, depending on the animal that falls for that Chinese year. And it's forbidden to do this Ainun. Even if the person doesn't do any action, he doesn't take any tea leaves or anything of the sort. But just by merely announcing, uh, communicating these this lies, these false, falsehoods, which the, the sechalim, sechalim, I'm going to translate freely and use a word that I don't let my four-year-old use, the stupid people uh, think that these are truth and that are uh, wise things. And indeed, you can see how... Uh, these so-called rabbis that say these things and engage in these kinds of, of uh, manipulations which by the way at the very essence of them the effect and the motivation that these things have is control the more you convince people that you have a, a a power that you know the future that they have to obey and and do a certain uh, irrational thing that you're telling them to do to the detail the more power, the more sway you have over them. So this is all a power play that they all do, and it's manipulation. And uh, so just by claiming these falsehoods, which the stupid people believe that are true and deep things, so that's already forbidden. And if together with this there is coupled an action, and as a result of believing that a certain day is more auspicious for something or a certain month is more auspicious for something and, and the horoscope told me to do something you actually act upon it this is an action that is sufficient to be hayav malkut the Torah says in Parashat Kedoshim you may not engage in onenut in predicting the future in acting upon these false predictions of the future. Furthermore, this is on the person acting upon it, but also the person trying to convince that a certain time has a certain meaning. And to do so, he engages in, a, in any act. Uh, uh, for example, he does an illusion. He says, uh, I know what's going to happen next month. And for you to believe me, I want to show you right now, and then he proceeds to do a magic trick, where he says, I know how to make, as I, I actually have seen this, of, uh, you know, by, by a self-proclaimed very big uh, rabbi with deep secrets, that it took a, a fly, a fly that uh, let it drown, let it drown in water until the fly wasn't moving anymore, and then revived it using ashes of his cigarette. Of course, this rabbi, uh, so-called rabbi, smoked a lot, so he had cigarettes readily available, and then the fly came to life. Uh, obviously, this has a biological explanation. The flies are capable of lowering their metabolism until it's imperceptible to the eye that they are alive, and the fly was never dead. But if someone uses this kind of a sign 
to convince you to listen to them in they're telling you what's good to do and what's not good to do based on a certain time that is also an act that makes a person capable of receiving malkut for engaging in the onen so we spoke about kosem we spoke about onen now we go to hover haver hover haver is the other category this pasuk mentions as so hover what is hover people. So the first one, Kosem attributed some inherent powers to himself. The second one, Me'onen, attributes certain powers to time. The third one, Hover, attributes certain power to formulas. Is very much like Harry Potter, that by saying a certain formula, Abracadabra or Avarakadabera, which is actually Aramaic for uh, let this be created by the word, Ibera um, So, what is Hover? Is someone who says certain formulas and believes that by those formulas that don't make any sense, he's causing a certain magical effect on things. Uh, for example, uh, if, if he says a certain formula to the snake or to the scorpion, the snake and scorpion are not going to bite. Or if you say this certain thing about a person, this person is not going to harm you. Or sometimes while saying these things, the superstition is that you hold, you have to hold in your hand a rock or a key. So all of those things are forbidden. And the one who is hover himself, the one who is engaging in these formulas, and <clears throat> and uh, and he's with this doing any de minimis action, which could be even holding this key or this pebble, this is enough for being hayav malkut. And the Torah says, Lo becha, as we said, ma'avid beno bito ba'esh, Hover is one of the things that we may not have. is siding with a very famous mahlokat in many places in the Gemara, whether dibur, whether a verbal act, just saying something is enough of an action be justiciable by a court. Harambam here, like the Gemara, concludes, no, it's not. And therefore, if the person just said the formula without, without with this, doing any action, then he, he, he is not hayav. Or likewise, whoever is the recipient of this formula, if someone goes and says, please, say this formula for good luck to me, and he's just sitting there doing nothing and the other person is doing the formula. So he's doing something extremely stupid and silly, uh, but he's not doing any action. But the court might still punish him with Makat Mardud, which as we explained before, is a discretionary punishment the court can use when Malkut is not uh, an option. Rambam is saying a side point here, and you should know all of these sounds and all of these ugly formulas, they and, and weird formulas, they they have no power to do anything bad or anything good. Uh, and and by the way, for us, if any so-called or alleged big rabbi tells us otherwise that a human-made formula can override the system that God imposed upon nature physics, chemistry, biology, then first of all, we should note the, the, what's really happening. We, we should note to this person uh, that uh, what they are saying is that they have more power than God. In effect, that's what they are saying. That's why all of this is in Yichot But also, uh, we should, if they, are, if they cite any authority, we should cite none less than Maimonides and Harambam, who is saying that none of these things work. Lohesh. Another exception now, just like we have an exception for 
people who work in government to try to dress like the goyim we have an exception now for saying formulas so someone who already has some harm some medical risk let's say a snake already bit the person so now what to do so hachamim permitted although this has no power whatsoever but hachamim understood the placebo effect they understood the psychological uh, the psychological beneficial effect that these things have on common people and they understood that people you know no matter how many times you explain to them they'll still believe that this has, has some effect and you know what do they have to lose so uh, it's permissible to say a pasuk or something of the sort on top of the of the place where the snake bit not because it helps in any way in, in a real way but because Hachamim understood this helps psychologically and the psychological health actually ends up affecting the biological health as we know in the field of uh, psychosomatics uh, which is uh, which is very well researched nowadays the placebo if sometimes a person might be having a sugar pill and believing it works and then we see it actually works because the psyche uh, convinced the system to cure itself brings a list of things, superstitious things that people do that they have a religious element to them. And this is unfortunately very, very common nowadays. Uh, like all the things that we mentioned before, but instead of doing avracadabra, you say a basuk. So now it sounds Jewish, right? Now it sounds permissible. No, this is not only it's forbidden, but it's worse. So the example Sarambam brings is saying against the wound a pasuk from the Torah, or uh, reading a certain pasuk to to the to the baby so so it doesn't cry, or putting a sefer Torah or tefillin on top of a child uh, so he falls asleep, or as I've seen other people do, putting a tanakh under their pillow. Lodai lahem habarim it's not only that they are engaging in hover haver and nihush, both of which things the Torah explicitly forbade and are a form of Torah, but rather they are rejecting the Torah itself. And they are um, the, of those, among those who go against the Torah. Why? Because they are converting the Torah, they are thinking of the Torah as something that is meant to provide physical well-being. And the Torah is not meant to provide you physical medicine. The Torah is meant to provide you spiritual medicine or psychological medicine, uh, unconscious medicine. Because the Pasuk itself says, The Torah will be life for your soul. The Torah is food for the soul. It's not food for, food for the body. However, it's permissible for someone who is healthy to uh, read Pesukim or study Tehillim in order to have the Zechut of this Talmud Torah, it's a misvah, and understanding that if you have a Zechut, then God will protect you. This is very different than saying that, that because you read Tehillim uh, when you're sick, you're going to get cured. Harambam was very much against this uh, practice of reading Tehillim when something bad happens. Uh, you pray when something bad happens. Tehillim have no magic power to them. And if you think that Tehillim have some magic power to them, not only are you engaging in magic, which is forbidden, but also you're really, really offending the, the, the meaning of Tehillim and you're treating it the same as you would treat the words Avracadavra as words that have no meaning whatsoever when Tehillim is one of the deepest books that we have. However, I'll say with that, Harambam and Chachamim were understanding enough to know that when someone is in the middle of, of a hard spot, something is already happening to them, then that's not the point, that's not the moment in time in which to tell them what to do and what not to do. And I would advise to revert to this halakha of letting someone who was bitten by a snake say a pasuk on top of, 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 the, of the bite in order to aid them psychologically as some sort of placebo effect. 
So that's my approach when someone asks for tehillim, when someone is sick or some, something of the sort, uh, go along with it for the psychological effect that this has. Yud Gimal, Ezehu Doreshel Hametim. Doreshel Hametim is the other uh, thing that was mentioned in the Pasuk. Means the one who invokes the dead is uh, the example is someone who goes into Ta'anit and then goes and sleeps in, in, uh, in, the, in the cemetery. So that the dead comes and tells them in a dream uh, whatever that he wants to know. Some other people actually dress certain garments and say certain things and bring a certain kind of incense. Again, we mentioned before, these incenses many times had uh, they had the effect of causing hallucinations. They sleep by themselves so that a certain dead, a certain person comes and, and tells them something in their dream. So, uh, in other words, the Rambam, anyone who does anything in order to invoke a dead to come and tell, tell him something, this is Hayav Malkut. Because the Pasuk says, you may not have among you one who, and then the, one of the items of the list is, invokes the dead. Now, we spoke about Baal Oven Baal Ideoni. It was something much more specific. It wasn't only Hayav Malkut, it was Hayav Sekila. That was in a different chapter. Now we are talking about the other side of the table, people who come to consult Oven Ideoni, like Shaul HaMelech did. It's Asur to, to go and consult someone who does Over Ideoni. Shene'emar, <clears throat> and, and by the way, whoever needs whoever needs to understand again what Oven Ideoni is exactly, go to so the, uh, you understand now that the one who does the over the he gets sekila, but the one who consults them gets malkut. Sorry, makat mardut, not malkut, because there is no action. But if then, as a result of what the over the oni tell them, he goes and does something like Shaul HaMelech did, then he would be Hayav Malkut. By the way, the Tanakh does not bring the episode of Shaul HaMelech as something we should learn for, from. The opposite, the whole episode there uh, in Shemuel uh, actually presents Shaul in a very negative light. Tetvav, Hamchashef Hayav Sekilavu Shasam Keshafim. Mechashef is uh, another word in modern Hebrew for a magician, a sorcerer. And a person who does kishuf is hayav sekila if he does an actual act of sorcery. But whoever engages in some illusion and and uh, and, and engages in something that is just a, a uh, is tricking the eyes, so to speak and shows himself as if he did something, but he never did it, then the punishment is makad mardut because there is no action. Now, what does it mean to do something? Do we believe that the person would uh, would actually uh, be able to, to engage in sorcery? Do, do we believe that there is muggles and Harry Potter actually is able to lift things with his with his wand and, or, or, uh, or create things out of thin air? Uh, no, and we'll see this in next halakha. Rather, when we are talking about ma'aseh and not ma'aseh, again, we are talking about the witnesses. So think about, from the point of view of the witnesses, they come to the court and they have to testify that they saw something. So if what they, if they know that what happened was just an illusion and nothing happened, uh, let's say uh, the, 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 the mechashef uh, hypnotized someone and told them to do certain things, uh, so that that's obviously not an action, and there is no sekila. But if they, if they, the witnesses believe that the mechashef did something, that the sorcerer engaged in sorcery, it doesn't matter if in fact there was sorcery or not. We know that there wasn't. There cannot be sorcery, but the testimony itself is what says that there was sorcery here. 
and because because mechashef, uh, the punishment is capital punishment for sorcery, uh, therefore, if someone does not get the capital punishment, there is no default punishment of malkut. That is the rule that we have. Lav any any felony for which there is capital punishment, there is no lesser punishment if this doesn't apply. Tedzain, <clears throat> now Harambam brings his opinion on all of these things. Harambam says you should know that all of these things are falsehoods, they are not true. This is something very primitive that back in, in, in ancient, ancient times, in, uh, before civilization, already these are all tricks that were used by the leaders of, uh, of, the, of the pagan people of old to manipulate the society, to manipulate the, their, their communities to make them believe in them. Again, all of these things are self-aggrandizing tricks. They have the effect and they have the intention of establishing a hierarchical relationship where one is a superior, one is an inferior, or in the in, in, the, in the, the language of Harry Potter, where, where one is a wizard and one is a muggle. Another way of saying that is, I can do magic and you should believe that I'm a big rabbi. Uh, if you think about this for a second, uh, following that logic, if Superman or Harry Potter existed, we should go after Harry Potter and kiss his hand and think that he's the biggest rabbi ever because he can do the most magic tricks. Well, uh, none of the rabbis of the Gemara or of the Mishnah or of the Rishonim were known or acquired the reputation because of magic tricks that they did. Even if it were true, even if the magic actually happened. Even if Superman came and he was able to fly, his ability to fly, his ability presumably to go against God's established order of nature has nothing to do with being a rabbi, with chokhmah. And Arambam is helping us, trying to open our eyes to what really is going on here, what really is going on. None of these things are true. And furthermore, don't be duped, don't be fooled. Someone is trying to control you. Ben Ra'uile Israel, it's not appropriate for Israel. We are the chosen nation. We are wise. Not only are we wise and we were always wise, but we also were made even wiser with the Torah. It's not appropriate for us to go after these things. Or to as another version, or to imagine for a second that these things can be true. As it is said, when Bil'am Harasha, Bil'am, who was a Mechashef, when he looks at Am Israel and he has this beautiful poem, this beautiful poetry, which was divinely inspired in an exceptional way, and he is inspired by what, is, what, by what he sees about the Jewish people, the people of Israel, he says, he exclaims, For there is no divination among Jacob, there is no magic tricks among Israel. In other words, he saw that and he was impressed by that. And that is one of the things by which he described us. He described Am Israel back then as the people who did not have these things. And furthermore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, when he instructs us to listen to a Navi, he says, because you should know that those other nations you are conquering in Eretz Israel, they... They listen to magicians, they listen to sorcerers, they listen to trickery, they listen to astrology, but you, you are different. It's not proper, it's not appropriate to you to go down to that level. And whoever, like, there is this approach today, whoever believes, you know what, sorcery exists, magic exists, but what can we do? The Torah forbade it. By the way, on this point, Harambam and Haramban, Maimonides and Nachmanides are diametrically opposed. This is exactly what Nachmanides said, that uh, the Torah forbade it, but it's true. These things actually work. 
כל המאמין בדברים האלו, בתרמב״ם says, whoever believes in these things, and things that, these things are good, and you know, we could be making a lot of money by engaging in magic, and we could be controlling the world, but the Torah forbade them, you know, this is something a little sharp, he's from, he's among the stupid, and those who have no intelligence, and among those uh, women and children whose intellect has not fully developed yet, but those who have wisdom and have a correct perception, they'll know through apodictic proofs, they'll know, they'll know through proofs, through actual scientific proofs, that that all of these things that the Torah forbade, it's not because the Torah was trying to deprive us from something that is otherwise beneficial. They are not wise things or deep things. They are empty and they are, they are, uh, they are banalities. Things after which those who had no doubt, no intelligence went after and they abandoned all the beneficial occupations because of those, and you can see this in history. Any civilization that engaged too much in superstition invariably engaged very little in science and in things that were product productive, and you can see today also the bigger a magician, a so-called rabbi, claims to be, the less Torah they normally know. And that's why the Torah said, when it warned against all of these things, You shall be, you shall have integrity. You shall be truthful and stay with God. In other words, the alternative for superstitions, for magic, for all of these things, is to have integrity, is to go after the truth. And the, the opposite is inferred from here. And going after these things means not having integrity, not going after the truth, and not being with God. And with this, we finish chapter 11. We'll start chapter 12 in a few minutes.